am humbled by the spectrum of the human experience and what people may be contemplating or, you know, sometimes people will share their deepest worries and concerns and similarly they may share their hopes and dreams. And so I'm continually touched by the, the richness and the depth. Welcome, welcome to the very first episode of Happy Death. My name is Emily Veach, and friends of the podcast will know that this episode has been a long time coming. Thank you so much for all of your support and input and patience over these months. This week's interview took place before the pandemic. I recorded it in person with my palliative care doctor, Dr. Stephanie Chang, and she is a physician in UCSF's Symptom Management Clinic, which is part of the Helen Diller Family Cancer Center. And symptom management more and more is becoming the go-to phrase to talk about palliative care. They are one and the same. A lot of times when people hear about palliative care, they associate that with strictly the end of life. But as I hope you will see from our conversation, that really isn't true at all. My experience with Dr. Chang and others that I've worked with in similar clinics has been an enhancement of my quality of life and I, if you could see me, I look pretty good. I'm not on the verge of dying at this very moment, so I'm just really grateful to those specialists who have chosen this field and you'll hear Dr. Chang, she is so thoughtful and so wise and I'm just so grateful that she's chosen to devote her working life to this effort and that she was kind enough to let me record our conversation. So I hope you enjoy. I will be back after the interview to chat with you a little bit more. Thank you again for agreeing to be on my podcast. I intentionally made you my first guest because... (laughs) I feel like a big part of people getting more comfortable with living well until the end of life hinges on good medical care. And I feel like Mm. so often my medical care is so focused on my body and what's wrong in my body. Whereas Mm. when I meet with you, it's sometimes more about like who I am as a human being. And that feels super healing to me, to feel like I'm a human being. You know what I mean? Mm. So, yeah. Thanks so much for sharing that. And it's an honor to be here. So, could you maybe start by telling me a little bit about your background and what got you into palliative care and maybe what a typical day is like? Sure. Um, So, I thought maybe it would be helpful to define palliative care because I know it can sometimes be confusing. So, palliative care is a medical specialty where the focus really is on quality of life for people with serious illness. So, I want to highlight two points. One, that it can be for people at any age and any stage. So I say this because I think a lot of people, both, you know, patients as well as clinicians, 
have the idea that it's just end-of-life care. And palliative care certainly includes end-of-life care, but it's not limited to that. So for instance, I see many patients who are getting active treatment, um, active cancer treatment, and so it can really be provided concurrently and alongside active care. Sure. Another point to highlight is that palliative care is very team-based. So we have physicians, nurse practitioners, nurses, chaplains, social workers, pharmacists, okay. um, dietitians, and we work closely with, you know, in this particular setting, we work closely with the oncologists as well. So we're this big team, and as you alluded to, palliative care is really about taking a holistic approach to quality of life. So hence, we have many team members who can share their expertise and support in all of these areas. Yeah, I really like that you started with that because, <laughs> uh, as you probably know, so often people associate palliative care with like death and, and kind of that very final thing, whereas, like you right. said, it's about living the best you can with whatever you're going through, whether it's um, maybe your early stage treatment or maybe right. it's your later stage treatment or just management of a chronic disease. So. Yeah. yeah, I think you have a really good understanding of it, too, cool. and yeah, truly, any age, any stage, and it truly is holistic, and and I love that it is all about mind, body, and spirit wellness, right. not just the physical body, which is certainly important, but that's not the whole picture. Sure, and I saw, actually, before we get into, like, a typical day, yeah. um, I saw that you published, or were part of a paper that talked, that looked at the various ways that you, that you and your team spend your time. A lot of it was related to symptom management, is that right? Mm -hmm. Or uh, I wasn't able to download the full paper, so I didn't read the whole thing, just, just like the results, but I thought that was, that'd be awesome. Thank you. Um, but I thought that was really interesting, that um, just the way that the breakdown of time happens in mm -hmm. your experience. Yeah, we found that really interesting, too. And what's interesting about that particular article, too, is that so much of the visits can be fluid. And so we talk about symptoms and when we say symptoms, that can really be mind, body, and spirit, you know, not just physical symptoms. But then we also talk about things like planning for the future, advanced care planning, and talking a lot about goals and values. And so often our experience, and I think our patients as well, is that it can be very fluid and flow one topic to another. And so to actually kind of break it down into the components was very illuminating for us. Right. I can see that. So tell me about your typical day. Sure. So... Uh, I'll start by saying that palliative care can be practiced in the hospital, in the clinic, at home as well, and and uh, various facilities too. And, and over so, the internet? Yes, and by telemedicine, I'm glad you brought that up. So I primarily see patients here at clinic as well as by telemedicine. So we use the app called Zoom, as you know. And the majority of my patients um, I actually see by telemedicine, so I see uh, patients here in San Francisco, but also all across the state. Oh, wow. And people have been, I think, both from the clinician end and patient end, happily surprised at how well telemedicine has been working. And I don't know if you want to comment on your experience with that. Yeah, I have uh, really appreciated the telemedicine part. You know, I live across the bay, so it's it's a thing to have to come over into the city, and it can be stressful just to drive itself, tiring just to drive itself. So yeah, it's really wonderful that I don't have the extra usually hassle of driving in, waiting, da-da-da, and it meets our needs. It's clear, and it's great to have those conversations, and even in the comfort of my own home. 
And I think you hit something so well on the head, so to speak, that quality of life is is everything. And so talking even about the drive and just the hassle of parking, I mean, that that's huge and makes yeah. a big difference. And I think people have been happily surprised at the connection that we can feel over the internet waves, so to speak. For sure. That it really is possible to connect quite um, deeply and meaningfully. Yeah. And I love that you're always so supportive with me and you bring up things like how you're proud of my mindfulness. And I just think that's <laughs> so cool that my doctor is looking after me in that way and supporting me in that way. Well, it's truly my pleasure and my honor to support you. And you are doing such amazing work, you know, both the internal work that you're doing and I know the amazing work you're doing with others and the activities you're involved with. So I sincerely mean it when I say that. Cool. How did you uh, decide to go into this specialty? Yeah, great question. Um, so originally I went into medicine knowing that I was going to do family medicine because of my love of integrative medicine. And I felt family medicine was a great fit in terms of treating the whole person, seeing, again, like every age, every stage, so to speak. While I was in medical school, I was exposed to palliative care, I think, in my first year. And the encounter was basically a palliative care physician brought his patient in front of our class of 110 people, you know, traditionally kind of intimidating environment. But they had the most authentic, meaningful conversation. And, you know, they were kind of sim simulating a, a palliative care visit. Mm -hmm. And I was so struck by this palliative care physician's one that he listened so deeply and so intentionally and that he was so present with the patient. It just, I think in general, you know, I like to think that clinicians will be good listeners, but I was very touched by the depth of his presence and listening. Right. So later on in med school, I actually did an elective to kind of get a more full immersion experience. And it was deeply healing and eye-opening. And when I say deeply healing, my father actually had passed away during my third year of medical school. Wow. And it was a huge, I mean, it turned my whole world upside down and my family's world upside down. Mm -hmm. And my dad taught me so much through his dying and through his wow. death. And I guess the aspect that I'll highlight is that it's really stuck with me how, one, how scary it can feel when one is going through something or when one's loved ones are, and also just how vulnerable one can feel. And that has stuck with me to this day. And I think it can be easy in medicine, you know, for clinicians to kind of to forget that even if you know they have very good intentions and you know we're, we're always trying to serve and help in ways but I think that core piece of remembering the human that we sit across from at the table and knowing that that human too feels vulnerability at times and that just going through certain you know for all of us like in our health journeys and what we're going through there can be moments of tremendous vulnerability, and I think if we can remember that and be present to that and honor that, I think that can 
be really meaningful in our time with patients. That's right, that's beautiful. Would you say that um, your father's experience, and in your experience too, was that the first time that you were confronted with a lot of those realities of what, what it's like for someone to go through that process? And It was. Yeah. Yeah. My, my grandfather had died when I was younger, and of course that was a very sad time for us as well, but I think you know, as an adult, in terms of a death of a close loved one, my father's death was the first time, and I think for all of us in my immediate family. Wow. So. That's amazing that it happened at the time that it did in your life as well, where you were kind of primed to really have such a profound response in that, you know, shaping your life still to this day. It's pretty incredible. And to think about the the class you mentioned where your professor brought in his his patient yeah. and just yeah to be able to have that kind of conversation in front of a hundred people and still have it be so meaningful and, and and full of value that's a pretty incredible story it was pretty astounding yeah I still think about it all the time to wow. this day that's amazing <laughs> yeah and just and the intimacy you mm-hmm. know like this not even physician and patient, but just human to human right. intimacy. Yeah, yeah, and like you said, it's it's hard to find sometimes in the medical environment because there's so much emphasis on all of the things you have to do, you know, and it's all important, but sometimes, yeah, the human element can, can get lost, unfortunately, so it's really nice to be able to bring that back. And I try to do that in, in various ways to various <laughs> levels of success, but, um, you know, it, I think it's it's amazing. What you're, what you're doing, Thank you. and I appreciate you. So if someone is meeting you for the first time, what might he or she expect in that first visit? Great question. So in terms of uh, palliative care visits in general, I think my hope is that whoever the clinician is, that they'll explain and describe what palliative care care is and see if there's any questions even around the definition of palliative care because as we talked about people can you know there's a lot of ideas about what palliative care is and specifically there can be a lot of fears and worries about it and I have you know I definitely a handful of patients every year who look very scared when they come and see me just even knowing they're seeing the palliative care doc, it's they're wondering, oh no, is this the oncologist's way of telling me something? Right. So I really view it as one of my responsibilities to educate people about what palliative care is and clear up any questions around it. And I think specifically in our clinic, you know, it's called symptom management clinic. And mm-hmm. so again, we focus on symptoms of mind, body, and spirit. So I think as part of all of my initial visits, I'll explain that we have a whole team, and they may see you know, one or many of the team members depending on their needs. I think we really try to meet people where they're at. Um, another really important part, I think, of the initial visit, but also subsequent visits, is to ask about people's goals. Mm-hmm. You know, What are their goals for today's visits? What are their goals longer term in their you know, health journey? What are their values? What are the things that are really important to them as we think about their health? Yeah. I think it's a really wonderful way to yeah, to really get to know someone and what they hold dear and and also kind of what is their compass 
in terms of how they think about their healthcare decisions. Right. So all do of you, those things can come up. Yeah, and do you notice a change in from the, the handful who are quite fearful, you know, over time or immediately, or what's that often like for people who come to learn about what palliative care is all about and then hear these questions about, you know, what are your goals and maybe it's the first time they're really thinking about those as well. Do you see a change in that fear response? Great question. I'd say um, in broad strokes, yes. I think people are relieved to know that we see people as they are getting active treatment or, or you know, maybe sometimes they're not getting active treatment, but just to know that it doesn't just mean, you know, quote, end-of-life care only, though, again, we, we do provide that care as well. Right. And I think people are often relieved to know that they have safe space to talk about whatever is present in, you know, in their mind and heart. Mm-hmm. Do you ever, you ever get surprised by the things that come up? I would say maybe not direct surprises, but I would say I am humbled by the spectrum of the human experience Mm. and what people may be contemplating or, you know, sometimes people will share their deepest worries and concerns Mm. and similarly they may share their hopes and dreams. And so I'm continually touched by the the richness and the depth. That's cool. Do you have a sense of how much of your time with patients is spent on like physical symptoms versus, um, you know, like I said, kind of finding meaning in their life or, or figuring out what their values are? Is there a balance that, that you find? It, as mentioned, it can be very fluid. I would say, as a general rule, if someone does have physical symptoms that are quite bothersome and perhaps, you know, are, are on the forefront of that person's mind, I think we will naturally gravitate towards focusing on that, and, you know, if and when, hopefully, symptoms feel better controlled, I think that allows for us to have the time to, the time and also the person's, you know, comfort to dive into conversations around meaning and goals, Um, but it's certainly possible, even if someone, say, were visiting me and had uncontrolled pain, you know, their goal for that day may be, please help manage my pain better. So yeah. that that is the goal for that day. So again, very fluid. I'd say I routinely do check in about symptoms, again, on all levels, but commonly, you know, GI symptoms, that comes up a lot. Pain, we talk often about sleep. Mm-hmm. We often talk about mood. So those are some common things that come up. But still, other symptoms may come up, too. And sure. we'll kind of, again, meet people where they're at. Yeah, and I think you bring up a really great point that sometimes when your physical symptoms, you know, I've been there where there's too much pain to think about really anything else. Right. So, you know, one of the ideas that I mentioned to you in my email was about having more early-stage patients. Or In my dream world, all early-stage cancer patients be referred to symptom management palliative care just as an introduction. And they can continue mm-hmm. if they want or, or not. But just to kind of, one, break the, the stigma around the word palliative care. And also, mm-hmm. I feel like it would be helping people like me who went through that uh, initial pain of a metastatic diagnosis that I would have already had this relationship and maybe already started some of these value conversations. Mm-hmm. So we could address the pain, but it's not at the expense of 
talking about value. You know what I mean? Right. What do right. you think of this idea? Is I it- love that you are thinking about this because we are having the same conversations as a team. Oh, wow. So <laughs> you are right on. And we would love to see everybody, like every patient here in the cancer center. And I think a lot of it is just, you know, a numbers thing in terms of the staffing. But we absolutely want to make early contact with as many people as possible. And I can share with you one of the things that we are working on developing is a group visit. And so in my past life as a family medicine physician, group visits are actually not uncommon around like um, whether it's chronic pain or a diabetes group or obesity group. So that model of care does exist in certain contexts. It hasn't really been done too much in palliative care. It has been done in um, kind of mental health and behavioral health. So for example, psycho-oncology here at our site, they have a number of really amazing groups. Um, but We don't have any palliative care groups currently. But at present, I'm partnering with one of the psycho-oncologists here, and we're hoping to develop a group for newly diagnosed, um, at present, it's newly diagnosed metastatic patients, um, but we'd love to one day open it up to everybody, mm. but we're starting with this particular population. And the goal is exactly what you're saying, early exposure to what palliative care is, mm-hmm. what the services are, provide some basic curriculum around, for example, pain and other symptom management, and also describe the various services available at the cancer center because there are tons of services here, but a lot of times, you know, we may not just be doing an adequate job of getting the word out about what those are. Sure. So I love that you're thinking about this. Cool. No, that sounds like a really great initiative. Um, I love it. So why don't we talk... um, about a question that I plan to ask all of my guests, which is, um, do you spend time thinking about your own end of life, your own death, and what do you imagine? What What are your priorities that you have in your own mind? I, mean, I know it can be like a, a an odd question to sort of reverse the, the role here a little bit, but I appreciate your I appreciate your, thoughts. your question. And I, yeah, I really, really appreciate your question. And I do think about, I think about death and I think about my death and I'll say that I think about that in conjunction with I think about life and I think about my life and for me thinking about it's almost like the yin and the yang I really think of one in the context of the other and I think death give life's meaning and life can give death meaning Mm -hmm. and that teaching that I've received from many of my teachers, has really resonated with me and I think given me a kind of sense of peace and appreciation of the naturalness of death because I think sometimes it's easy to forget. And, um, you know, I think in terms of my own death, I would love to be with my loved ones, whoever they are at the time. Yeah. And I would love to hopefully feel a sense of peace and acceptance um, I think, yeah, these are my hopes, and I say it kind of without a lot of attachment to them, because what I've learned is that just as life is so unpredictable, death can be very unpredictable, and so while I do have these hopes, I think I also am surrendered 
to the mystery of it all. Sure. That's awesome. And I brought a quote because I thought um, this just speaks to me so deeply, and I wanted to share it with you and our listeners. Please. Um, so Frank Ostaseski is uh, one of my dear teachers and friends, and he wrote the book called The Five Invitations, and he also um, started the Zen Hospice Project, and he, he teaches internationally, and I had the opportunity to study with him for two years, which I'm very grateful for, and in his book, he shares this quote, life and death are a package deal. Death is not waiting for us at the end of a long road. Death is always with us, in the marrow of every passing moment. She is the secret teacher hiding in plain sight. She helps us discover what matters most. And I really love how Frank talks about this, you know, becoming intimate with death. We become more intimate with life. And we really appreciate the preciousness of life. And I love how he talks about when we can appreciate death and life in this way, we don't want to waste a moment. We want to jump into life with both feet. That's beautiful. I love it. And it's, it's so well reflects my goals with what I'm doing on this podcast mm -hmm. and just the fee the feeling of peace and and, and intimacy uh, with the idea of death being so natural and being part mm -hmm. of life and how it really changed my priorities um, and just the way that I look at my life like I am so thankful for that um, that shift in my own consciousness that mm -hmm. I'm able to look at my life differently and I I love that I love my life and I love that I have it I love that it's going to end I mean it's it's weird to say because nobody wants to leave their loved ones and you know life is beautiful and everything but at the same time it's like the great mystery you you mentioned earlier and I just think it's that's such a cool quote it really sums up um, a lot of what I feel Hmm. Too. Yeah. Before we wrap up, is there anything else you would like to talk about or any other questions um, that I didn't cover or anything Sure. Like that? I actually, um, I brought a list of resources just right. in case it's of interest to you and yeah, others. Let's hear. Um, so first, with regard to, I'll start with the books. Okay. <laughs> so I'll start with hard copy. So just some books that may be of interest. I know you're aware of um, many of these, um, but to mention... A book called A Beginner's Guide to the End yep. by B.J. Miller and Shoshana Berger. I know a lot of people who have read this, and they've, I mean, maybe kind of, I can let you speak to it because you've read Yeah, I actually uh, read this book as part of a sort of book club with my right. one of my support groups that I'm a part of, and it was a really nice uh, way for us to kind of, yeah, have a, a guide for beginners um, to a lot of the more practical parts mm -hmm. of of the end, as it's called, and um, yeah, it just walks through a lot of really practical tips, and it was great for sparking discussion in our group as well, and it's written in a way that um, is applicable to a lot of different people and mm -hmm. um, covers a lot of different topics, and some might be relevant or more or less relevant to you, but um, yeah, that's a good one. Wonderful. I approve. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> 
Yeah, and I've heard that feedback too, just very practical and also speaks to, you know, larger questions mm-hmm. of meaning as well. So just a wonderful combination yeah, if you don't of know where resources. To start, it's a yeah. great place. Wonderful. Um, another book is called Life After the Diagnosis. It's written by Steve Pantelot. Full disclosure, he is my division chief. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> and full disclosure, I do work with BJ. <laughs> um, but another wonderful book, great resources, great way to kind of think about things too because I love that he acknowledges that, you know, when you hear the diagnosis and in the moments following, it can be totally overwhelming and it can be really hard to know even where to start. And so I think he provides a wonderful um, framework and one of, he provides just a lot of great tips on like how to kind of land, so to speak, after cool. you kind of get that news. Um, another book that I mentioned earlier, um, Five Invitations by Frank Ostaseski, a wonderful read. And, and all of the authors I've mentioned have great talks online too, YouTube and some TED Talks as well. And the last book I'll mention from a few years ago is Being Mortal by Atul Gawande. Cool. Um, a resource that maybe of interest is PallyMed. Okay. And I can share all of these with you. That'd be great. Yeah, I don't um, know that one. And so PallyMed is a website that's kind of like a, a blog and repository of anything and everything palliative care related. So for clinicians as well as patients and the general public, wow. really anyone who takes interest in this. It's a wonderful site. Um, I believe the people who put it together, they you know they do it for their love of the of this work. Cool. Another resource that's newly developed is the Mary Center for Education in Palliative Care at UCSF. And their website is maryi.ucsf.edu. Um, but it's resources for patients and clinicians as well as the larger community. So they have a lot of great resources listed on their site. So for the clinician and they have um, notices about trainings and other opportunities to say work on maybe communication skills or learn more about symptom management or get a a more solid footing in palliative care. And maybe I can take a quick moment to talk about something called primary palliative care. Please. And that's something, so we talked about even just the idea of accessing palliative care. One of the goals, I think, across the country in palliative care is to educate all clinicians, regardless of specialty, about kind of the foundations of palliative care Mm -hmm. so that everybody can be talking about goals, values, have some knowledge of symptom management Mm -hmm. so that this can, in a way, infuse the whole medical system. Cool. So that's kind of the goal in terms of disseminating these um, ways of practicing. Awesome. So, that being said, for the Mary Center, there's education resources for clinicians. And then on the patient end, there's workshops on topics like caregiver resilience, advanced care planning. Most of these events are all free. Mm -hmm. Um, Poetry cafes. So a lot of um, events. And this is, you know, more local to the Bay Area. But there's a lot of other resources listed that could be accessed by anyone. Um, And then I'll mention... Two last quick things. One is the, I don't know if you've heard of the End Well Conference. It's a conference put on every year, and it's, from their website I'll read, it's a dynamic gathering of individuals committed to generating human-centered, interdisciplinary innovation for the end-of-life experience. And so they welcome, and this is just 
a starter list, so to speak, entrepreneurs, designers, technologists, funders, healthcare providers, caregivers, patients, activists, journalists, policymakers, spiritual leaders, artists. So that's just to name a few. That's just about everyone, I feel yeah. like. <laughs> like humans. <laughs> All, All are welcome. welcome. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And I've known a few who've um, attended as well as participated as some of the speakers. Mm-hmm. And it okay. seems like a wonderful gathering. You can join their email list. So they might even have some mailings throughout the year. Cool. Um, the last two things I'll mention are two Facebook groups that may be of interest. One is called Slow Medicine. And from their site, it explores shared, non-rushed medical decision-making, palliative care, and treatment focused on preserving function and maximizing comfort, especially for elders, but not limited to elders. When I was on Facebook, I did appreciate all of the great posts. I mean, people share a lot of wonderful articles, you know, info about local events and things, and it just seems like a wonderful community in which to dialogue about okay. such topics. Okay, I can see how that would be helpful. And then lastly, I'll mention um, the book called Option B by Sheryl Sandberg and Adam Grant. Um, So there's actually a Facebook group, actually a few Facebook groups kind of related to this book called Option B. I don't know if you've heard of it, but Sheryl Sandberg was the author who wrote um, Lean In. Uh She's the COO of Facebook. Right. Um, And in this book, they talk a lot about resiliency, also topics like grief and loss. Um, and so she has, they have a few different groups, but the ones that may be of interest are, there's a grief and loss group, and then also a health, illness, and injury group, and I think there's hundreds, maybe thousands of members, and again, when I was on Facebook, I joined both of these groups, and I was really moved by the sense of community, um, I think in general it's pretty amazing. You know, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like people are really seeking that community aspect um, right. as a way to share your your fears or your joys or whatever, right. and and find connection. I think that's huge. Totally. I think Very cool. you know one of my colleagues would say connection is protection. Mm-hmm. And I think there's so much to be said about community and feeling seen and heard and not alone. Right. Um, it, at times, it can feel very isolating, you know, going through whatever one's journey is. And so I think really getting a sense of that larger human family can be deeply healing and nourishing. Sure. Yeah. So, yeah, those cool. are just a few resources. Nice. And well, yeah, I've, like, I've learned a lot from you, not just today, but in our, in our regular discussions. And today I also learned that we have another thing in common. We're not on Facebook together. <laughs> nice. <laughs> that makes me very happy. Yeah. <laughs> um, but thank you so much for being part of this. You are um, a real joy to work with and a true Likewise. healer. And I appreciate you. Thank, thank you so much. That means, means so much. Cool. It's an absolute pleasure and honor to work with you. Awesome. When I got my start in journalism, rookie newspaper copy editors like me were assigned to the obituary pages. I learned quickly that every word matters. The formatting matters. The families of the people whose life stories appear in those pages expect perfection for their loved ones, and my job was to handle them with the utmost care. I think I've always been fascinated with death. Years later, as an editor at the Wall Street Journal, I found my way into the obituary file. 
This is where we pre-write obituaries for well-known people, so that when they die, all the reporter has to do is plug in those few final details. In my downtime at work, I would sneak into the obituary file. These were life stories with blanks, written in advance of the inevitable. All that's known was in the past, history. Everyone dies, it's only a matter of how and when. Writing these pieces in advance would naturally be easier than writing them in the moment. This curiosity is what led me to journalism, and then to that obit file, and now here, to Happy Death. On this podcast, I'll interview a variety of people, some experts in death-related fields, and some just regular people like you and me, people who are working toward living their own best life. Next, I'm going to play a recording of one of those regular people. Emily Garnett was a mother, wife, advocate, and my friend. She died on March 19th of this year from metastatic breast cancer. We met in a support group for young people living with this disease, and she made a larger-than-life impression on me and pretty much everyone she met. She created her own podcast, where she spoke her truth about the intersection of cancer and life. Here's a clip where she shares how a bad day can be very humanizing. It's a great episode, and it was an, it's an episode that I'm really excited about because, quite frankly, I'm just having a shit day today, and I needed a good chat with a good friend. And it it's not one of those days where anything is overwhelmingly wrong. It's just one of those days where everything just doesn't go right, where you show up to the gym and they're, they turn you away because there's a broken water main. You go to the post office with an unruly toddler and the line is out the door. You go to Target to pick something up and it's off. You know, you're they're out of it on the shelves. You go to, you know, anything you go to do is an issue. It's just like every little piece of the day is a struggle. And you feel stressed. I, I mean, I feel stressed. Like I just, it's just one of those days. And I know everyone has those days. And I, it's always, it's always an interesting experience because when I have those days, sometimes I just feel like, okay, you know what? This day is going to suck from here on out. And then I'm going to go to bed and it will be better tomorrow. And that's true. And that's fine. But when you have those kind of days, like with cancer, it's so funny because, and I say funny because I mean funny because on one hand, sometimes I find myself thinking all of this shit and I still have cancer. And, and sometimes when you, when I express that to other people, they're like, oh man, and cancer. Like it's, it's hard to believe like that people with cancer still have shitty days, but at the same time, having a shitty day can be very normalizing. It can be a very, (laughs) a very humbling experience in a good way in a way that for me reminds me that like i still have i still have a life that i'm holding on to and i still have the means to go to target and i still have all of the things that 
give me my day-to-day ebb and flow of life, even when they're ebbing more than they're flowing, it's still a function of my life. And sometimes those bad days can remind me that at least I'm here and have the autonomy enough to for them to be bad. It's okay to sometimes not be grateful. It's okay to feel crappy and to acknowledge and dive deep into that crappiness. But we talk about a tremendous range of emotions and range of experiences that it's, these are all things that are okay to feel. And so if you're one of those people out there that's having a crappy day, know that today I'm right there with you, that, uh, you know, you still have a crappy day with cancer. And you know what? Sometimes it's not all that bad. So anyway, on with the show. That's it for this episode. I've posted the show notes on my website, 10thwind.com, where you can also send me feedback. I would love to hear from you. Until next time. Happy Death is a 10th Wind production. For helping to make this project a reality, I would like to say thank you to Rainy Ortega, Sandeep Peswani, Dr. Stephanie Chang, Emily Garnett, my dear mom and dad, and to my very first sponsor and superfan, Kelsey Weaver. From Macanda, Illinois, I'm Emily Veach.